Hi everyone, so welcome back to the Black Create Connect podcast where we interview some of the most inspirational, incredible, powerful black professionals, entrepreneurs and leaders in the world. And today I have a queen, literally a queen, um, Madeline McQueen. She's a speaker, executive coach, she's a host, now author and the founder of Compass Club. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Madeline. Welcome. Yay! Thank you so oh, much for having me. <laughs> for some reason, I'm in this secret competition to, to be the best my like, intro um, on a podcast. So, no, thank you so much for having me. I to, to look, watch me. I'm like, oh, let me let me stop anybody. My kids have this habit of it doesn't matter what I'm doing and it doesn't matter how much diary we give them. They still like to keep calling us in the middle of stuff. So um, thank you for having me. Truly appreciate being here um, and supporting this fabulous podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Madeline. So just to, um, to give you context as well as to how, how I like to run things, I'm very fr- I'm such a freestyle person in a lot of nice. of my life. Um, so bear with me if I ask questions that are very ad hoc. But that's fine. That I like to understand about every single guest that come that comes on here, and I'm I'm gonna go into your career um, very shortly. But one thing I like to understand is your background. So mm. how you were raised, what your start out in life was, what really made you who you were today. So mm. um, I guess but first question, if you don't mind telling tell, telling us more, tell us about your upbringing. Like where were you raised? What was your upbringing so, like? Yeah, so yeah, so I was born in 1969 um, in July. Yeah, 50, I'm 53, 54 this year. Uh, it's amazing how it flies. I was born in Leicester, raised in Leicester in the East Midlands. Um, my parents are Caribbean heritage, so um, they are... Um, so my father was from Antigua, my mum from Barbados. I'm the youngest of six girls. Um, I, they used to call us the Amazons. Um, my original surname is Chambers. And um, I uh, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. So right. really, yeah, yeah. So as much as it came with its challenges and I'm no longer Seventh-day Adventist, what I really appreciate is that growing up, growing up, from very, very young, always with people who look like me. So it doesn't matter. I went to predominantly white schools uh, because of where we lived. But every Saturday, you know, there were people who looked like me, you know, and that is really grounding in so many different ways. Um, You know, Sunday was Pathfinders, uh, you know, there's Friday night prayer meeting, Wednesday night prayer meeting, you know, it, it meant that there was that continuum of not being other in every space. Mm. Um, and that was that, that, you know, when you left your house, that was amazing. Um, I grew up with great people. Um, also, I think it, it speaks to confidence and being able to hold a room because from very, very like from out of the womb, you're presenting and, you know, doing the, you know, the missionary story and the this and the that and getting involved in afternoon programs. So, that really did shape me um, growing yeah. up, um, and my pa- my parents were pretty prominent, pretty powerful, pretty um, what's the word? Th- th- 
you know, and they're also in love. And that was also great. So growing up with parents who, when we went on trips, were holding hands and and that kind of thing, that also really shaped me as well. And I think it shaped uh, the relationship that I have with my husband, David, today, because I saw what good relationships look like, you know, Um, and also grew up you know, I think it doesn't matter what happens, I'll still be middle class. And the, the reason why I say that is, you know, where I grew up in Leicester, most people owned their own homes, maybe had more than one. Um, not only that, and this is, you know, it's black people um, went to church and people were doctors, people were nurses, people were, um, you know, ran their own business. Like my father ran my own, his own business, you know, people were teachers and, you know, they had, these job people worked in corporate, people worked for the council, but not in necessarily, you know, and I take nothing away from anybody because God knows we all need road sweepers, right? Because if we didn't, mm-hmm. we'd be living in mess. But people who worked in the council buildings doing, you know, health and safety, you know, like doing different kind of things. And so it really shapes you when you're growing up because it shows you what's possible. It shows you what's available. Um so yeah, I'm really sorry. I have uh, my stairs are being done. They're nearly done. They're nearly done. They're nearly out of here. So if you can hear it's something fine. in the background, apologies. Um, but yeah, no. So that that really did. That was a grounding upbringing. And obviously, because you had a church network, it meant that you know you got to go to different parts of the country for different events and that kind of thing. Well, let's go and visit this church. So I also always had friends across the country because. That's how, just back then, that's how it was, you know, big days and all of that kind of stuff. So a lot of that really shaped, has really shaped me. Um, And also being the youngest of six girls, you know, who are all pretty strong and, 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 you know, pretty, and and it's a trope in some respects, but, you know, all independent, really, really made a difference. The other thing that happened when I was 10, um, my dad died and he died really suddenly. And that meant that my mum was left with six girls, you know, from, from the age of 20 and under. I, and it meant that, or should be between the ages of 10 and 20. And that meant that my mum was very much about, you need to be independent. You need to learn how to do things for yourself and not be dependent on other people because you never know what's going to happen. So we also grew up learning how to do a lot of things, you know, like, yeah, you need to know how to change a light bulb, do a plug, do with this. And then my dad was a mechanic. So we were always going when, when he was alive to that, um, to his, his, uh, his business, his, his garage. And so we were learning things around cars and that kind of thing. So yeah, the, these are the things that definitely shaped me growing up. Mm. Yeah. I mean, thank you so much for, sh- for, for, for sharing and giving so much context. And I think one of the things that I really relate with you on is growing up Seventh Adventist in the church and yes, being around so many people like yourself, like, you know, like yourself, uh, consistently, it's actually, I find it quite a shock when I came into the corporate world, when I realised that <laughs> most of the world isn't like that. Even though I live in I live in London, again, I found it, a, like, again, a, like a big shock because I had so many people like me around me growing up as well. Out of interest, Madeline, when you were growing up, what were some of the things that um, people told you that you're probably going to be? Because I, I remember growing up, all the time I was told, you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be a missionary, <laughs> a missionary person or a lawyer. I was told <sighs> what I was going to be. So then automatically I kind of felt like I needed to go down that path. 
But what were you told that, that you should be doing? What did you want to do? I mean, to be honest, I had no idea what I wanted to do. None. Uh, and I think that's how a lot of people feel. Um, my mum really wanted me, I never really got told what to do. A lot of people said, go and be a nurse. So you're caring, go and do that. And I was always, I from very young, um, I just, I remember like being in school um, and, you know, you go to see the careers advisor. And I remember, again, be a nurse. And I was like, hell no. Now my mum was a nurse. My aunt was a nurse. My other aunt nurse, you know, all of these people. And the reason why, the reason why, and I think, you know, growing up in the seventies and eighties is because a lot of people that you knew that were black, that were black women, women were nurses. And for me, I did not want my children to go to school and everybody assume or have them say your mom's a nurse because that was the thing at the time yeah. right and yeah. it doesn't take anything away from nursing or anything like that not in any form or fashion um but it was just like I want to do something different and I kind of want to wear a suit and I kind of want to have a briefcase and I want to be able to tell my kids that I do something else apart from what is ex of expected by the wider population as to mm. what black women do. And I was really clear about that very young. I didn't know what I wanted to do though. <laughs> so. so, okay, so when you were growing up, who inspired you? Where did you get inspiration to do mm. what you've done in university and in college? Like, where did that inspiration come from? Um, so I never went to university. Um, I decided I wasn't going. Um, I I uh, decided that I knew I would be the person who would spend two weeks working and six weeks mucking about, and I wasn't going to spend three years and come out with a poor result. And so I yeah. decided not to go. Um, one of my, I mean, what I did, what did I do? I mean, I, I, I really had a love of literature. So, you know, I did A-level literature, uh, A-level English. Um, I, I was very much you know, <laughs> the person who was reading lots of, and I was really fortunate because when I did A-levels, um, I I had two really good A-level English literature teachers, two women who had travelled, you know, spent time in Africa, you know, these white women who had, yeah. had done this. And, and they were like, you know, so we did Commonwealth literature, which was, you know, um, I was reading, you know, I can't, you know, this is what happens at this age, you know, Chimio Chago. I, I know I've got that. I've absolutely messed that one up. Um, and, you know, it was just, it was so good because it was so rich and I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And so obviously I, I left, I, I went to college to do, uh, to, I had to do a retake because I'm going to be honest, the one oh, book, really? the one book I didn't, study is the one book that was on the paper and so no. <laughs> pilgrim's progress is my nemesis um and yeah i didn't like it and so i just thought oh, i'll do everything else and that was the book and it's really funny because it's a conversation i have I've had with my children as they've gone through school you know it's like study it all 
because I'm going to tell you, Pilgrim's yeah. Progress, the one thing you don't do is definitely, it's definitely going to be on the paper. And then that's kind of, I know my, my daughters have said, no, nah, ma'am, we, we remember that. Um, so my inspiration in all honesty, I mean, what I do now, I had no idea that this is what I was going to do. What I did know, I always knew I was destined for greatness and that sooner or later I'd run my own business, but I didn't, I hadn't, I really had no idea. Um, I think I was in survival mode, to be honest. And the what there was a person who really made a difference in my life, not def, not necessarily based on what job, but how I wanted to live. And her name was Pauline Brown, is Pauline okay. Brown. Now Pauline Maturi. Um, she worked for the she was a young woman, you know, she was one of my sister's ages, worked for the council, you know, was, you know, actually her brother too. So actually her brother, Ivan, is now the the health minister, well not minister, but the health director for Leicester City Council and it's like so when Covid was on and Leicester was on you know he was the one on the news and stuff and it's like yeah these are people I grew up with you know and they, they were like they were like extra family to me um and Pauline especially you know she used to be in the bath on a on a Sunday reading like the times or the, you know the for the Guardian you know she'd read her broadsheet yeah. be in the bathroom for bath for ages um you know had her own home she was she was always encouraging me to be my best um and to live well and I loved the way she you know she, a little bits of Marks and Spencer's foods and stuff and I was like I want to live like I want to get to I mean she wasn't 40 <laughs> you, you know it right listen one of my goals was when I when I get to 40 I want to be eating buying and I now do I do I go to Marks and Spencer's on a regular basis and buy some of my shopping uh, certainly not all of it but <laughs> so it wasn't a case of I had somebody who I wanted to emulate from the point of view of roles but I did have somebody I wanted to emulate from the point of view of the way I lived right and that was and that was and that was Pauline Brown, without a doubt. That without a doubt. So yeah, um, yeah. Pauline, huh? Chat out Pauline Brown. Well, she's now Pauline Maturi. I mean, I shouted her out recently on LinkedIn because I was just like, yeah, role models come in different shapes and sizes, and yeah. sometimes you need people in your life apart from your family that are going to make yeah. that see you. And she saw me, without a doubt. At what point in your life was that? Was that towards in your early teens? I was in my teens. I was in my teens and early 20s, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what did you end up, what did you start off doing in regards to your career? So you didn't... So how did I start? So I I was like, okay, I need to do something. When I was in college, I ended up, I was in McDonald's first six months um, of of being there. I got employee of the year. I was literally that I was like... Yeah, yeah, I was racing through all my badges. You know, went from a green badge to a white badge to five stars, and it was like, "Will you go for management?" I was like, "Hell no, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life in uh, McDonald's." I opened up Hinkley, um, you know, <laughs> it was like, um, and then I went into, uh, you know, I did some temp- different kinds of temping roles. Went into customer service uh, for Sun Alliance in there. Uh, kind of customer focused uh, behind the scenes back office insurance Mm. and at the time I started going out with David Um, so we've been together since I was 18 he was he was just before our 19th birthdays so we met at a take six concert in 
Milton Keynes. Bear in mind, so he's from London, I'm from Leicester. And that's where I went because he grew up Seventh-day Adventist as well. And that is where we very first met. I was dating somebody else at the time. Um, And I'll never forget, he shook my hand and then he just let his fingers slide upon that. And I was like, "Mm -mm -mm, who do you think you are? (laughs) He's always... says he never did I'm like yes you you lingered um and then we 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 met about a couple of months later um and that weekend I had actually split up with the guy I was dating and we happened to end up because it was you know you'll know this groups of young people you know so on mass went to we actually went we met again at lordship lane um because there was a revival uh tent in lordship lane park and uh that's where we met and we just started chatting and we just got on really well i did conks him in his head and he wasn't very happy about that that was an in thing at the time um and um we met and uh we just hit it off we really hit it off and I was like "Mm, okay I mean the previous way it wasn't a case of I was jumping ship in any form or fashion because I realized I'm bored um and I think he realized "Mm, I don't know if she's for me so and that's fine so it's mutual um Mm. but yeah we met at Lordship Lane and we started we just started chatting and that summer was uh he was taking A levels I was taking A levels that summer and that summer we spent so much time on the phone because obviously I went back to Leicester um, and he asked me for a could he have a relation with me now just a reminder I'm um I was a, a an English student he's walking around like showing himself at this moment in time outside like to make make himself known as ever um and uh he said I want a relation with you and I was like bro the word is relation in my head I'm like the word is relationship relationship <laughs> you know like, he will How say, well, we now time? have two. Huh? How Sorry? old were you at the time? Uh, so at the time, I was 18, just about to be 19, um, and he had turned eight, 19. And he's talking born about in the same that year. 18 and 19. Listen, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and we did. So our first our first phone bill that we both got after the first few months with BT uh, his phone bill and after because bear in mind those days there were no mobile phones and we used to write lots of letters I still have them because we've just moved and we've just found all the letters that we wrote to each other which is beautiful mm. um mm. but um that was his was 300 pounds and if you can imagine back then that was back a phenomenal amount of money yeah and mine was 600 pounds yeah <laughs> No wonder why you both came as powerhouses together and thought, yeah, we need to make sure we're making, <laughs> we're making money to pay those phone bills. <laughs> That's crazy. But it shows, though, it shows how, how invested you were at the beginning stage. It's, it's very rare these days for that to take place. So yeah, that's special. Yeah. Yeah, we, special. I think we, we're we unicorns now, you know, yeah. sadly. Um, but, yeah, we've been together for, so I think this year is... I think it's 28 years and 28, no, 35 years together, 28 years. It will be 28 years married. married. Um, yeah. And it's like, it just gets better yeah. every day. Yeah. I mean, one thing I really admire about both of you, because I've done obviously a sneak peek kind of analyzing both of your profiles and what you both do. And I think it's incredible that you're both doing similar things and no one's threatened by the other. I feel like, I mean, has yeah. it ever come into play where it's, 
I, I, I don't think you give me that vibe. I feel like you both push each other to be better individually and together. But has there ever ever been a conflict there when it comes to what you're doing, what, what he's doing? How did you make that work? For, you know, we're called fire and ice. You can guess which one's which. He's ice, I'm fire. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, working together, when, you, when you're married, you live together, you work together, it's challenging. And over the years, you know, we've had to find our track. Um, I've always said we, we do slightly different things, but similar things. You know, previously he used to be a lot more about speaking and speaker training, present, presentation skills, that kind of thing. I was finding my way kind of with business consulting and business coaching. And then we kind of, we've both segued in our careers into similar but different things. You know, I'm all about clarity, confidence and empowerment. He is about clarity and confidence and empowerment, but in a very different way. He's more leadership. Um, I work with the leader. So, but I don't say that I do leadership, if that makes any sense. It's a difference. Um, what what I think it clashes, if we've clashed, it's normally be, I've been like, you're not clear enough, you need to, or it's been like, you need to charge more. David's a, 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 we're both givers. David is a crazy giver. And sometimes I'm like, no, 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 let's, let's pull that back. Um, or you're not charging enough for that. Um, and so... That is often sometimes where if we're going to clash, that will be where we clash. But my question on that, Madeline, how do you, because I, I hear this talk a lot of the times, especially with speakers, <laughs> right, and coaches, and about not charge, charging enough or being charged too much and everything. How do you gauge, how do you quantify what is, you know, the rate that you should be charging for a, for whatever it is that you're doing? I think you look, you have to look at the market. You have to look at the type of people that you work with as well. Like if you work with the leaders, charging a minuscule amount, it doesn't appeal to them anyway. Like if I earn X amount of money, I, uh, and I'm buying, you know, I'm buying my food in Ricardo and I'm buying a Louis Vuitton bag wearing, uh, not Louis Vuitton, you know, bags and whatever, then it's not, it's not just about, to be honest, it's not just about that at all, but it, it, you have to understand people who value something um, and operate at a particular level expect everything to be at a particular level. So when you are too cheap, it's too cheap to be good enough for them, right? If And even still, if you're, even if you're going at a kind of a mid range, you still need to think about what does, does this we need to stop thinking about survival and just paying our bills. We need to also think about, and also when you're looking at it, you also need to stop looking at it from the point of view of what I can afford. Mm. Especially when you, you know, like you, we've always, we've bootstrapped our businesses. And at the very beginning, when you're struggling, if you base everything based on your struggle, then you'll never charge the right amount of money in order to thrive. So I'm not saying I'm not saying that that is everything for charging because it's not. You know, you do need to look at the market. You do need to look at where you are in your journey as well. You you know, and what receipts you've got to actually bring to the table. You do need to um, also look at what your business um needs you know and and how you're going to actually be able to live if you're not earning a a, a living wage then mm. what's the point you might as well just get a job so, so kind of going back to the beginning then when you first mm. started because I feel like I'm at the beginning of my 
slash coaching, doing workshop training, facilitating, all of that, my career. I'm at the very beginning of it. Mm. So one of the things that I am figuring out, I wouldn't say struggle, but I'm figuring out, and a lot of other individuals, especially young black professionals that are going down a similar route, are figuring out is where do we start with our pricing? Do we charge by the hour? Do we charge for the outcome? Do we charge for our experience? How did you package together your value and your pricing when you first started out? Yeah, when I first started, I started, you know, a lot. Uh, I started, you know, I, started, I think I was charging about 600, 750 for a six, for six sessions. And I started on, I definitely was, you know, I'd, I'd learned through things that I'd engaged in, people that I've watched, that a package is always back, better than by the hour. Um, and so I, I just said, okay, it's going to be, this is the six sessions, it's a package. I also, you know, I, I trained with the um, coaching academy and that was something that they were saying. And in fact, at the time when I coached back then, they were saying charge a thousand pounds a month um, and have kind of a more fluid relationship with your clients. Um, you know, I charge a hell of a lot more. <laughs> you can add a zero and some more to what I charge now. And But then I work with leaders. Um, I I would say this, and that is, First, get in the habit of charging because if you've not charged before, it's to jump to a big number, it, it's just too much. And I do think you have to earn your stripes and build. Um, mm. But I definitely think that, you know, and also look at who is your market, who are the kinds of people that you're actually um, going to. I think if you're looking at corporate training, you should be looking at a good thousand pounds to fifteen hundred pounds um, for, you know, a day or, or, or half a day. And I, you know, David and I, where we are, we charge a lot more, but but it's about where you are at the beginning. Mm. And secondly, they have the money to be able to do that. I think mm. black people especially um, are, are underpaid in so many different ways. And that's because we're always questioning our value and we're sometimes too damn grateful. Um, yeah. I think if you're looking at a coaching package, be clear about what that coaching package is and what it brings to the table. Um, and I'd, I'd also say for speaking, you know, no less than £1,500. Um, I mean, the the... Back then, you know, 2004, 2005, the Professional Speaking Association was saying, you know, you shouldn't charge as a professional speaker less than £2,000. And people want to give you, you know, peanuts. Um, and yet you've paid this guy over here who isn't even that good, you know, £7,500. So just because he looks like you, as opposed to, you know, the value. And I, I always say often, I think that it's not, it's not a blanket statement, but often good black speakers are going to come in and rage the energy. You know, they're going to come in and deliver really good value. And um, that that piece, you know, as well as the knowledge and the information, the experience, that piece of bringing energy is so important um, because mm -hmm. so many people don't bring energy. So many people, you know, I've been to lots of conferences and sometimes you're thinking, okay, which, which one am I going to go shopping and see the city during? Because sometimes people are super boring. And so for where you are in your journey is what, what is the going rate for somebody who's just starting? Um, and where, and let's not put ourselves at the bottom of that, that, that spectrum. Let's put ourselves right. in the middle to the top. Why not? You know, and really, for most of these things, it's your audacity to ask. But if you've just started, don't start asking for eight thousand pounds or you know seven thousand pounds, yeah, of course, six thousand pounds. 
you know start you know start in the uh, where you are that might be it might be a 900 gig it might be a 1200 pound you know that you're going to start off as a coaching package and then what is that package you know get really clear about what do they get from you how long are those sessions um do they get top-ups for 10 minutes do they get um you know does everyone get a like a journal and pen you know be really clear about what people get from you I hope that's helpful. No, no, that's that's really, really super helpful. And I guess it, it puts a lot of things into perspective um, for myself as well. And I'm sure people that are listening, I'm sure it will give them some perspective. There's a couple of things that, other things that I want to ask you. So hmm. um, in regards to how you started in your career, I know you do speaking, coaching, hosting, mm-hmm. um, you're the founder of your own company, the Compass Club. How did you get started? When was that light bulb moment where you mm. kind of thought like, this is what I need to be doing. This is for me because, again, this is a very unique career path. So, how did you think yeah. about that? So, I so two things. Dave and I share a company called Q Squared Limited, and then I have a company called Magnificently You, which is what the Compass Club sits under. How I started. Um, I used to work in sales. I was a corporate sales account manager close like two million pound deals and all of that kind of stuff um was kicking ass to be honest um I had a baby and that made life a little bit more difficult because it was a very um it's old boys club um I worked in IT sales um people seemed to forget that they were babies too and then I got pregnant again and because I was under so much pressure so much stress I had a miscarriage and I decided enough enough and I left before yeah I left before Matt leave um because I got pregnant again and my we had a really good doctor who said go for it just go for it again I got pregnant again and I gave three months notice and I left I said I'm not waiting for Matt leave I'm not losing another baby um and so also my oldest daughter was then like four going into nursery and stuff and I wanted to make sure that I was there um after school before school so I um I also knew that I wanted to do more and I did go back I went back for like two weeks and I was like forget this for a lot also my children look crazy because David was home uh and he used to look after the kids and I was like I come home and they literally would look crazy and ask what they were eating and he'd have fed them some crazy shit. So, um, <laughs> so I, I stayed home. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just real. And so he, uh, so we, um, I, how it started was I started sales consulting and helping people with their sales. Then I started doing more business coaching and consulting. I, you know, I'd done some coaching courses and that kind of thing. Um, and what I found was that I was always working when I was business coaching and consulting, I was always ending up helping the individual to step into their confidence. Because if you don't feel confident about what you do and how you do it, what happens is it seeps into the business and how the business operates and how you maybe work with people. So that's where it all started. And then, you know, I, I've always been a jack of all trades and in my head, in my head, master of none. Um, and so as I started doing more and more of that work, I started realizing, you know, confidence is definitely a lot of what I do and clarity. Um, and one day I just said, okay, stake in the ground. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to maybe about, I don't know, 2016. I just said, stake in the ground. That's what I've done. I've done a lot of consulting. I just said, no, nah, I'm going to stop. I'm going to really work with leaders. Um, 
and I'm going to, um, I'm going to focus on clarity, confidence and empowerment and mm. clarity, because if you can't get yourself clear about what you want, how you want it, what it looks like, why it's important, it's almost mm. impossible to build evidence-based confidence because you've got no direction. You have no North star. Um, and then it's about evidence-based confidence because too often we're looking for somebody else to tell us we should be confident, but actually we're sitting on a plethora of stuff that we've done that can underpin that confidence. And when you have those two together, you can feel empowered to do just about anything, but there are tools to empowerment. And I added a word maybe about two years ago, which was, because they were my three words, which was thrive. Because when you do those, clarity plus confidence over empowerment equals thrive. I want us to live a life that that thrives. We talk too much about survival in our community and actually survival is keeping us stuck. Um, We're not getting to really live and I want people to really live, but live on their terms. That's how I kind of got into this. And so I started touting myself as an executive coach and, and working with more leaders, working with corporate. And a lot of my work has been word of mouth. Um, and I've got to work with phenomenal people. I do work with phenomenal people that's been great. And then I realized, okay, there's only so much I can do one-to-one. I want to do one-to-many and I want to work with women and I want to really help. And I was doing a lot of work with women. I, I ever so often work with men, um, but I want to work with women, especially. I mean, I work with men um, maybe in workshops and that kind of thing or speeches, And I want to really help them step into their badassery and find their North Star and, you know, get where they want to go. Because that's a lot of things that women were telling me. And now, so that's why the Compass Club came about. Um, And I've recently made the decision to make that exclusively for black women um, because we are experiencing very different things in the workplace to other women. We are experiencing what they're experiencing, but there are added pressures, added challenges. And some of those challenges are coming from other women as well. What are some of the common challenges that you've seen black women go through in leadership positions in the workplace? They work overwork, overwork oh, to prove themselves. Tell me about it. Um, they take every problem on. Yeah. Um, they um, don't ask for enough money or their worth. They're waiting for everybody else to validate them. Um, common common challenges, there's often often a white woman, potentially another black woman or even an Asian woman who is making their life hell and, and blocking them. Um, they, um, they've put so much into hard work, into work that a lot of the rest of their life isn't actually flourishing in the way that they want to. So they're getting to their late forties and being, ending up being single, not because they want to be single, but because they've spent so much time with their value and their worth in their work that everything else has just got, you know, by the wayside. Um, There's a lot of um, underlying confidence issues and also not knowing how to um, leverage their personal development for professional success because we have been taught to get the bag, get the shoes, get the makeup, get the clothes, get the everything else and the jewelry. Lose weight, lose weight, do all of these things in order for us to be the acceptable version. And actually what we need to do is do the personal development work so that we can stand in our power. And it doesn't mean to say that we don't stand in our power, we do, but we're also 
regularly impacted by the um, stereotypes and tropes that are thrown at us. Um, And we don't have enough network. And what I mean by that is enough women who are also in positions of leadership or positions of these kind of positions, maybe around us to be able to bounce off to uh, to go, yeah, I'm not crazy. This is what, you know, it's true. This is what's going on. So that's, there's some of the things. So, with a lot of the challenges that, that you mentioned, I can tell you for a fact, I feel it daily mm-hmm. all the time. And actually, something important that you mentioned about a lot of black women being single at 40 because they strive so hard to work in their careers, that's something that I actually fear. <laughs> like, I'll be completely honest with you, that I just forget about everything else in life and I'm just, you know at an uh, older age and then I've just ne- neglected everything else so my my question to you is um for anyone else that feels like that any black woman listening that is you know experiencing these things what can they do today what action can they take today? Mm-hmm. work your hours work your damn hours stop working the hours you are not paid for I know that there is the pressure within corporate because other people do but hold some boundaries sorry you didn't even finish your poor question look at me um (laughs) hold some boundaries around your time like we're working evenings then we're working weekends and all weekend you know and putting work first my thing is put yourself at the top of the list um because when you're in that hospital bed, because you've got high blood pressure, you've got diabetes, you've got some cancer, you've got whatever, where's work? Where's work? When you get knocked over by a bus, I can tell you what's going to happen. Oh, did you hear about, did you hear about Alicia? Yeah. Oh, wasn't it terrible? Yeah. Oh, what's the new girl like? And so we need to embrace more balance where we put ourselves at the top of the list and we've been raised to put ourselves at the bottom but if you put yourself at the bottom of the to-do list as you all know you never get to you you never get to you because the list is long so I think that's one of the things the other thing is is to I think as well as to be speaking to your manager about, I mean, depending on, and that can be challenging, but to about what you can and cannot do and to start saying no to things or stop owning the problem in the room. So when they're talking about this thing that's going on, instead of going, yeah, I'll do that. It's just hold back a moment, hold back, you know, yeah. Did you not say you were going out next week and stop counseling your friends for work? You know, these are things that we do without even thinking about it because we think it's showing everybody our value. And actually what we're doing is digging ourselves into a hole that nobody's going to take us out of. That one hit home for me. I'm trying to hold back tears because that hit home. It's, it's, It's a lot, like a lot. I feel it every day. And I know I speak to a lot of women in my network as well, black women that feel that all the time and there's a constant battle of trying to prove your worth trying to prove that you, you're there to stay especially in this economy where companies are letting go go of people mm-hmm. left right and center mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you're over delivering so you've got but the problem is is the over delivering what you have to understand is that mm-hmm. your over delivering is over over delivering mm-hmm. if you're true. very honest you work with a lot of mediocre people you're so correct. You're so correct. And and you know what's crazy, Madeline? 
I noticed that this week, so this week we had a task um, at work where we had to just say what we're looking to do for the whole week. And why was my list like double, quadruple the size of everyone else's? And I was like, and it was, it's a completely new, new exercise. So no one ever does this. And I was like, hmm. Right. <laughs> Put these pressures on myself. Yes. <laughs> in number one and two. And then at the end of the week, actually this morning, everyone kind of went through what they didn't, didn't achieve. And I'm like, yep, done this, done this, done that. And people are like, yeah, didn't get to do that. But never mind. There's always next week. I'm like. <laughs> and that's what? why I say. Work your hours because yeah. one of the, we are. Don't get me wrong; there are pressures on. There really are pressures on us, but we need to stop taking as giving pressure ourselves. Like if yeah. we've got to work twice as hard, which I hate that phrase anyway. Yeah. Well, that means we're already better. If we're already better, why are we then taking on more? Like seriously. You're correct. You're fine. Let's just stop. Yeah. Facts. And I, I I need to take that, I guess, again, as a personal person, I need to take that on for myself and, again, for the community. One thing I, I want to find out from yourself, um, how did you get to this point of having so much confidence? There's one of your talks that, um, I, that I listened to, one of your interviews that I listened to, and um, you mentioned that, you know, we should, we're kind of born winners, something to be grateful for. You mentioned about a theory about writing down um, everything that someone says, anything someone says about you that's really positive and reading it back. What are some of the things that brought you to this place of having so much confidence? And does your confidence today ever get knocked? So first things first about confidence, the truth about confidence. The first real thing, there are, you know, like some big facts about confidence. And one is, is that confidence isn't a personality trait. It is something you work at. And not only that, it is changeable, it's situational, it's it's something that you have to, it's actionable, um, it is realistic, you know, confidence, that all of this, you're either, I have my moments of crises of confidence, right? Everybody does. Don't believe a person when they say they don't. They do. Everybody does. That's because we are complex human beings. And I describe confidence like a graphic equalizer, right? If you look, you know, the, the different things, notes going up and down, up and down. And depending on what your situation is, depends on what that confidence looks like. You know, put me, <laughs> put me at a table, gala dinner, and I've now got to talk to these people, you know, I feel that con crisis of confidence. And I'm like, you know, I hold my bag like an old lady and speak really high. And I go to, you know, equestrian English, you know, I'm like, oh, hello, everybody. Yes, my name is Madeline. And you know, I'm kind of like, I, I, it's not necessarily where I, I, I can, I warm up into it, but it takes me time. I have that initial, oh moment um everybody has that and don't believe anybody who says they don't right and if they don't they're lying uh mm. so for me I have my ups and downs but I have more ups than I do downs um few things for me I think writing the list is a really important of things that you've achieved is a really important thing to do and to continue to add to it because we lose it we don't remember it so that's one of the things that I do every so often the other thing is I journal. That's really helpful. Um, I don't prescribe journaling in the sense of you have to do it this way because I think it has to be the way that works for you. So journaling for me gives me a space to work out what's going on in my head, to not have it just floating and to deal with any negative 
voices that come in. Um, the thing that you talked about, which writing down what people say about, is called the pink envelope in counselling. And um, yeah, writing that list, you know, I have my books that I had. I don't do it as much as I used to, uh, but it was a really good way. And I went to therapy, you know, to deal with some of my own challenges, but it was a really good way of um, reflecting back what people say and think so that you can have evidence to challenge the negative voice. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a cancer, so I'm I'm a consummate optimist. Uh, so again, manifesting is a really important thing to me where I speak, speaking things into existence and expecting them to happen and talking about myself as positively as I can be. Do I have my down days yet? But, and being honest with me, um, because if you're not honest with yourself and that's the good and the, and, and the not so good, then it's really easy to end up in that I'm stupid. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm, you know, and it just takes work. Like I believe that everything is about practice. If you want to change mindset, it's about practice. If you want to be more confident, it's about practice. I like to practice it because there, and I like to practice not allowing things to keep me down for long. Mm. So the more you practice, the quicker you bounce back. Yeah. That's true. That's that's a good point because I'm in like an in, in a reverse way, I feel like when people practice saying negative things about themselves, then or when I have you know had negative thoughts, I often have a, a negative undertone because I've practiced that, and vice versa. If I if I constantly have like things that are front of mind, I remind myself of the good things that I'm doing. I genuinely have an undertone of optimism, so that that makes complete sense. Um, I know that you have um, the Confidence Builder Program. Mm-hmm. For those that are interested, tell us a bit more about how that program works, what that entails. Yeah, so basically I, I, I wanted to have something that people could access and just kind of jump onto. Um, and so basically it, it kind of goes through... It goes through the first couple of phases of what I do, which is a bit more about clarity and confidence. We don't ask ourselves or other people enough questions. And so my thing was giving people a framework as to how they can ask themselves questions um, and the questions about their life and their career and also and what they, so to get some clarity about what they want, but also to help them um, see themselves as well. And so that program is very much about doing that. So it's a, you, you know, it's a PDF in effect. It's a, but it also, it's it built into that PDF of videos. So I'm kind of talk you through your next stages of what you want to do. And then I have a, um, a thing called Focus 5 in there, which is about help you to start thinking about what you need to start, stop, you know, and could then create yourself a plan of how you're going to move forward. So it's really a nice little piece of something to do for you. Um, and it's also a way, and I think going back to everything we've been speaking about, of taking time out for yourself with yourself. And it's a nice way to do that because it encourages you to take the time to sit down with a nice beverage and go through the exercises, which is really about you spending time with you. And um, we don't do that enough. And then so how can you know what you want? How can you know how you feel about something? How can you know what you bring to the table? How can you know who you are if you don't spend time with you? Because when we spend all of our time waiting for somebody else to tell us, we have given them our power 
Mm. And we're hoping that they're going to tell us what our value is. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much for sharing that as well, Madeleine. That's you've given some really strong words of wisdom. And um, I'm inspired from the short conversation, so I'm sure that people listening are. If there's anything that especially black professionals, so just to give you an insight, the people yeah. that I have in my community, um, everyone's developing, growing, full of ideas, full of ambition, um, trying to transition into different careers. It, ver- it varies um, as to what industries. If there's one piece of advice that you can mm. give, to every single person in my community that's a collective piece of advice. It's so hard. So hard. One thing that we have to take Mm -mm, away from that. So I've already spoken about all the other stuff so they can take that away. Ask for what you want and ask to the point it makes your eyes water because you can only ever negotiate down. You cannot negotiate up. So stop accepting pittance and ask for what you really, not the, like the first thought. Cause you're like, we have a first thought, right? Often, yeah, I don't really like that. And then we go, then we talk ourselves out of it. So ask for what you want and keep asking. Um, we don't ask for enough because we're hoping that by our hard way, if we just work hard enough, they'll notice us and then they'll give us what we want. And it's like, this doesn't work like that doesn't work like that so ask you want a sponsor ask for one you want a mentor ask for one you want more money ask for it you want the promotion ask for it if you don't if you if they're telling you oh well then ask them well what is it that what are the three things I need to do in order for me to get a promotion what are the three things you did in order for you to get a promotion what has to happen for me to get a promotion Mm. ask for what you want Mm. I'd like to be uh, seconded to that department is that possible what has to happen for that to be possible yeah that's such powerful advice Madeline thank you so so much and I mean to echo and to add on to that I found that throughout my career when I do arts opportunities are always created yeah. okay. even in ways that I don't expect mm-hmm. so look at who turned up look at who turned honestly, up <laughs> on, I mean honestly even arts yeah yeah music, to feature on this podcast. If you didn't ask, you wouldn't be here. But absolutely. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. Yeah. Yeah. And um on that note, that's a beautiful, beautiful note to to end on and to remind people that actually they're able to ask anything they exist, they're here, you know, they're worthy and um Thank you for reminding me, always. I always say to guests that, yes, the podcast is great to put out there for others that want to learn and develop, but I always say, if no one listens to this podcast, I've gained something from it. (laughs) Well, uh, that's my absolute pleasure. Um, I think think that as we get older, you know, I still go, oh my God, I'm I'm the aunties now. I'm the elders, I'm the deacons Um, and um, deaconesses. And um, I think we have a, especially within our community, we have a responsibility to share um, because we cannot expect those coming up behind us to to be able to get the secret sauce, to be able to excel if we're not sharing what's worked for us. And I think it's, I think it's, what's the word? Uh, Irresponsible for us to not share. So it's my pleasure to share. Thank you so much for asking. Thank you.
thank you thank you so so much Madeline and um, thank you for all the listeners that have listened right up until the end of this podcast episode if you've learned something if you've loved this episode do share it do take some notes re-listen to it again um, and also follow Madeline all the details will be in the description of this podcast and thank you all for listening to the Black Create Connect podcast and I will see you all on the next podcast episode take care bye